This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network. Learn more at trine.edu. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Onliners Podcast, a podcast that dives deeper into the mysterious world of online learning, featuring myself, Regina, and my colleague and good friend, Kirsten. Hi, Kirsten. Hi, Regina. We are two higher education professionals at Trine Online, a team within Trine University, located in Angola, Indiana. This week, we'll be talking about accessibility. Megan Tolan is our colleague, and she is with us today. Megan is an assistant professor in Trine's Frank School of Education. However, I feel like in all of our conversations with Megan, she wears so many hats than just this one title. She is an expert in Canvas and is also working on developing our new Transition to Teaching online program at Trine University. We really enjoy working with Megan, and we are so excited that she has been willing to join us today and talk about this so important concept of accessibility. I agree, Regina. Megan presented to our faculty earlier this year regarding the same topic, and we thought it would be great to have her talk about accessibility in one of our episodes. I remember when I started developing one of my first courses, I thought, I know how important accessibility is, and I I was going to make sure that my entire course was accessible. That was my plan. The whole course was going to be accessible. And then I went down the accessibility rabbit hole, as I would like to call it. I soon became very overwhelmed trying to determine exactly how to make sure all of the elements in my online class were accessible. After hearing Megan's presentation earlier this year, one thing that really stood out to me was to start small. There are small steps that we can all start taking to make our online classroom environments accessible, and then we can continue to develop our courses from there. A quote that Megan shared from Maya Angelou stated, do the best you can until you know better, and then when you know better, do better. This is such a powerful statement, and as educators, we should be applying this to so many areas of our teaching, but especially in regards to something such as accessibility. Megan is going to share tips so that as a higher education community, we can all strive to do better in regards to accessibility. Before we begin, Megan, can you provide a brief overview of what you mean when you say accessibility? Yeah, of course. There's probably an official definition out there somewhere on the Internet. But when I think about accessibility, I'm thinking of making sure that all of our digital content, whether that's courses or websites, apps, et cetera, that content can be used and accessed by absolutely everyone. So someone with a visual impairment to an English language learner, they're able to access and navigate the stuff we put out for students. So, Megan, when we talk about accessibility, Oftentimes, we're actually referring to disabilities. So what are the types of disabilities that a student may have or may self-identify as having so that this can help our listeners understand the various needs that our online learners may have? Yeah, um, we have everything from, you know, you can have a visual impairment of some sort or some type of auditory impairment. Uh, Students could have some type of autism spectrum disorder, any type of intellectual disability. It could even be some type of physical disability or even just a mental health condition um, such as anxiety that could cause some issues for students trying to navigate digital spaces. Thank you, Megan. I think that breakdown really helps our listeners see that making our courses accessible, there's so many elements that can go into that. So before we dive into the design element of accessibility and online learning, Can you talk about some of the testing and classroom accommodations that faculty might be asked to make to accommodate some of our students with disabilities? 
Yeah. Um, oftentimes, there you're going to see requests for extended time on tests um, or to test in a low distracting environment, which online is harder to manage. Um, but even having tests read to students, there's software that can do that, um, helping you spell checking and grammar checking resources. Um, so things that allow students to navigate that space, um, but make that don't necessarily give them an upper hand as far as knowing the content, but giving them the resources so that they're able to show what they know a little bit easier. You know, in a recent presentation that you did, you discussed the Universal Design for Learning Guidelines. And I often, you know, throw out that term of UDL and what is UDL. Can you share what UDL is for our listeners, this Universal Design for Learning? Universal Design for Learning is a way to look at how we design learning experiences. It's I think of it as a lens through which we think about our entire process for teaching and learning. So offering students multiple ways to engage with the content, multiple ways for them to represent content and multiple ways for them to give content back to us. It's like beginning to end. How do we design for every student? And it's more than just providing accommodations like those test taking things we just discussed. Bigger picture here. And for me, when we design for everyone, specifically we design for those in the margins, everyone benefits. And I like to think of the example of like wheelchair ramps on a sidewalk, right? Of course, no one would ever say you can't, we don't need those wheelchair ramps. They're obviously important for those who are in wheelchairs, but then they also benefit other people like myself when I run and I'm pushing a stroller. Like I am grateful for those ramps. So for the students who need the extra time or they need the bigger font size or what all the things that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Um, those are needs for them, but they benefit everyone. And so we can keep that in mind as we design content and we design our lessons. I think all students benefit. Absolutely, Megan. And one quote that really stuck out to me during your presentation that you did earlier this year for our faculty was a quote from Mark Hofer when he said, we inadvertently put up barriers for our students in learning. And can you explain for our listeners? I, I just thought that was so powerful. And what what does that mean? Yeah, I don't think anyone ever designs content, whether that's face to face or online. I don't think there's any educator out there who thinks, you know, what, I'm going to make this terrible for students. Um, we all do the best we can every day and we do it with great intentions, but sometimes things happen, right? And if we're not aware of the hurdles we're putting up for them, sometimes it's just the use of color. And that can be anything from, you know, someone who's colorblind to someone who has a, a more intense visual impairment using a picture that has words on it that isn't accessible to a student with a screen reader uh, or PDFs that have just been scanned in and not necessarily tagged with alt tags to help those who need it. I think that probably one of the most common, I don't know if the word is mistake, but one of the most common errors when it comes to accessibility for online courses is that use of color. And I know you mentioned that, but you know, everyone has the best of intentions, yet seeing color used for meaning has become so common. And yet it is a major concern. I mean, really, it's that black on white, dark navy on white. It's that contrast that we have to have. And I think, again, that it's just something that people just don't understand. But as you share color, from my perspective, looking at online courses on a regular basis, using color as a means of communicating something is a huge, huge uh, mistake when it comes to accessibility. So 
Now that our listeners know a little bit more about what accessibility means and why it is so important, especially in online learning, can you share some tips on how we can create accessible content? Of course. Uh, My first tip is to just really be aware of cognitive load. So how much our brains are taking in at one moment, that working memory. Uh, Research tells us that it's about five plus or minus two things at a time. Um, So anywhere between three and seven. So if we can lean towards that three, I guess that's always my goal is to kind of keep it simple, um, which again comes back to that color like you were talking about. Sometimes just the simple thing is the best thing. So to be aware of what information our students are taking in at one time. And I, I usually joke, like, I don't want to read my aunt's Facebook post rant on something maybe a little interesting. If I'm not into physics and I'm trying to read this content online, like, how can I, like, I'm not going to read it, I guess is really what it comes down to. So if, if we feel like it's overwhelming, like when we hit the page and it feels like a lot, um, if it feels like a lot to us as adults and as, as educators, then it's going to feel like a lot to students. So how can we, we we be aware of what that cognitive load feels like, especially on a screen and in a digital space? Yeah, I completely agree, Megan. And that's one thing we've actually taken a look at is the cognitive load of our learners in the online um, courses for Trend Online. And one way that we have recognized the cognitive load of students and have tried to help is through the use of our new Trend Online course template. So students know when they are in an online course at Trine, they can expect to find information and the course layout to look the same from course to course. And that's one way that we're trying to help with that cognitive load is that every course will not look different. The course layout and the template is going to be the exact same from course to course, just making it easier for students and for learners to find the information that they need. Right. And I love the template. You guys have got some awesome stuff going. And like even just the strategic use of a line really helps. So sometimes, again, it's just those little things that we can do as faculty to make it feel less overwhelming for students. Another thing that we can do uh, is be really aware of our font choices. So we want to avoid handwriting fonts in any type that when students are reading to learn, there's my K-12 educator coming out. Um, So when students are having to comprehend text, we want them to be able to use all of their brain power to actually read and take in information. We don't want them to have to physically strain to read. So making sure that the font choices we use in online are sans serif, which is without the little ticks, um, is really important to help students read across the screen. Um, We also want it to be large enough um, that it, it feels readable. And of course, there are tools and there's an accessibility toolbar in Moodle um, but we can that students can use to increase their font size. But even just keeping it at a a consistent user friendly size is helpful. So if we're doing anything in the LMS, um, usually 12, 12, 14. um, But if you're doing any type of presentation or sharing your screen or doing anything um, bigger than that, we say like the minimum font size on a slide should be 24. So just being aware of what it feels like, uh, again, on that viewing end. Another thing that we can do when it comes to reading is making sure everything is left aligned. Um, I do a lot of work in K-12, so I see this a lot in elementary spaces. And I, I don't know, you ladies would probably be able to speak more to online and higher ed, but the centering of text to make it look pretty happens for whatever reason. Some people really like their text centered, but it actually takes more brain power to do that. So we want to make sure that all of our text is left aligned just to make it easier for students. You know, I think both of you have brought up an excellent point and we keep coming back to that, that word consistent and clarity in courses. 
One of the great examples that I've read recently was that, you know, in a face-to-face learning environment, by and large, classrooms pretty much look the same. If you walk down a university hallway, you look in a classroom, you know, generally speaking, the desks are the same, the whiteboard's the same, the windows are in the same place, the door's the same, everything's the same. And so that, that concept of cognitive load is low. A student can walk into one class for math and then walk into the next classroom for history and generally speaking, things are pretty much the same. Um, when you go into an online classroom, that's where that a lot of times that consistency and that that concept of accessibility can change drastically. And it really can overwhelm the learner with just trying to figure out how to navigate and where to navigate. And that's one of the reasons that we have pushed our template because it reduces that idea of cognitive load and helps learners focus on what they need to learn, not the the environment itself. So thank you for those tips. Of course. Um, I'm going to offer some more tips here. And Kirsten, you, you hinted at this earlier, is the idea of color and contrast. Uh, of course, we know color conveys meaning, right? So what is the message that we're trying to send with our color? Um, for those people who are in business and marketing, like that's not a new concept for me. I was just dumbfounded when I realized how people have been marketing to me my whole life. I didn't learn that in college. So learning about like the colors that we're choos- choosing and then also that color can't convey meaning. So we want to make sure that our students are able to read. So whatever that contrast is, whether that's like Regina, you were saying white on black or or black on white, that having that high contrast um, and avoiding using reds and yellows and pinks on white backgrounds. There's actually a really cool tool called WebAIM, Web, and it stands for Web Accessibility in Mind. And it's a free website where you can check your color, which is awesome. I like that. Sometimes I am surprised at what isn't considered accessible. Like even if it feels good to my eyes, I still need to check um, because I am surprised at things. Again, if it feels terrible right away, you're like, oh, yeah, this isn't accessible. Um, but sometimes it is not accessible and I think it should be. So there's that. I usually I use that checker a lot. Um, but then the other piece is that color shouldn't convey meaning. So if we just put all of our homework in red text, that's awesome. But the student who needs to know that it's our homework and is in has to use a screen reader, the screen reader doesn't say this text is in red and it says homework page 42 or whatever. You have to, to to type out the words you wanted to read, which, again, was really eye opening for me when I was learning about all this accessibility stuff, because for 100 percent, I did that when I first was starting out. Yeah, that that's such a good point. And this is something that before your presentation that I heard earlier this year, I didn't even think about. We want our courses to look visually appealing. And to many of us, I know I'm really guilty of this. Using color to show meaning makes it look prettier, as we would think. But I have learned that that can create a barrier. And now I just avoid using any color text throughout my course. And I know something you mentioned about we need to be descriptive with our text to identify, you know, don't use red to show that that is homework. Actually say this is your homework, because when a screen reader is sharing that, those students will know. But I also remember in the presentation that you did, you talked about descriptive text. And I thought that was that was also something really interesting, um, the descriptive hyperlinks. So can you talk a little bit about descriptive hyperlinks? Yes, this is when, uh, when I learned about this, is like, oh, my goodness, this is my new pet peeve, is that you'll see this all the time. So when we say descriptive hyperlinks, we want 
to type out what it is we want our readers to go to. So I want to link it. Um, but what we see a lot of times is like click here to do this or um, they'll just copy and paste that really ugly long URL that takes you to some type of website or a document that is saved. Um, we want to actually type the language. So I want you to read this chapter on protons, right? And so what I would highlight the words, read this chapter on protons and then link that text as opposed to typing out that text and then linking the chapter below it um, with a funky URL. One, it just looks better. It's cleaner um, and it tells the reader, um, specifically those with screen readers, what they're clicking on. Um, so in order to do that, I just type what I want it, where I want them to go and be descriptive with what I want them to do highlight that text and then link that text as opposed to uploading an extra document or adding a link at the end of that. You know, this is um, really confirming because as you know, Megan, Trent University is a member of Quality Matters and we use the higher education rubric to really guide our course development. And so many of these accessibility topics are actually embedded within the rubric. You know, we talk about not using color for meaning, you know, using those descriptive hyperlinks and also closed captioning. So can you talk a little bit about closed captioning or transcripts? Of course. I loved closed captioning. It's so, so, so important. If you're spending any time on social media lately, you'll notice that even the influencers are really starting to be more aware of the video content they put out and add those closed captions. It's critical for those who need it, right? Those who are have some type of hearing impairment have to have those closed captions to get the content. Um, it's also really beneficial for our English language learners or just someone who is trying to function. I know as an adult learner, sometimes I'm sitting in the car with my husband and I have to watch something for my grad class and I don't really want to put my headphones in or I can't find my headphones or whatever, I can just watch the captions and still get that content. So again, anyone who actually needs um, those captions to be able to consume the content you're putting out for students to the other point where it's just a convenience thing um, to have those captions. So luckily at Trine, we have a tool called Kaltura um, and Kaltura will caption you. It's pretty accurate, same kind of like YouTube, Captions are probably about 75, 80% with an accuracy level. Um, I talk really fast, so it doesn't always do a great job for me, but I can go in and edit them, which is really nice. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I rely a lot on TED Talks and YouTubes because they already have the closed captioning there for me. But I also use Kaltura as a great resource when I'm recording my own videos for my class as lecture videos. Um, Kaltura is a great resource that we have at Trine, and I'm sure there's a lot of other variations of Kaltura out there, but that does the closed captioning for us, which is great. I'm going to jump in and just mention about if we're doing anything live, any type of live instruction, synchronous stuff with our online students that we can use. If you use Google Slides, they have an automatic captioning feature in Google Slides, and that PowerPoint also has a translation and captioning feature as well. So anything, even in the online space, if you're working with students um, who speak a different language or you just want to have those captions on as a courtesy, you can do that in any type of recording space or in that live Zoom meeting now, too, which is really cool. Megan, what's this term alternative text? What does that mean? Alternative text is the text that we should be typing when we have images in our content. So whether an image is in a PDF or a presentation 
or just like dropped in Moodle, we need to have alternative text there so that when the screen reader hits it, it says it's an image of something. Um, and so alternative text is important because if the pictures are there and we need students to know what that picture is, if they have a visual impairment. Um, so again, it kind of depends what the purpose of the image is, um, whether we need the alt text or not. But if it is necessary for students to understand the content, we have to be really descriptive. And that is something I still struggle with, admittedly. So I lean on that web aim, the, the website I talked about with the color checker, that they also have directions on writing high quality alt text or alternative text. And I go there frequently just to make sure that I'm giving students what they need in that space. Thank you, Megan, so much. And you've given us so many, not only all these different things to think about, but a lot of great resources for our listeners. And I know I'll definitely be looking a lot of these things up. And, it, and just for our listeners and wrapping up, some of the concepts that Megan talked about for accessibility was cognitive load, font, including style, size, and alignment, um, font color and font contrast, descriptive hyperlinks, closed captioning, alternative text. Those are some of the things she talked about. Yeah, and accessibility is, as all three of us have shared, it's such an important topic because we have learners that will self-identify as having a challenge and learners that do not self-identify. And so we really want to make sure that whatever we put on the online course or, or in the LMS can be accessible to our diverse learner base. So and on top of that, things change. I mean, with the new tools and technologies that come out, keeping on top of accessibility in UDL is very, very important. And it, it's a bit of an overwhelming topic. So Megan, before we wrap up this episode, do you have any additional insider tips that you want to share with those who are listening to today's episode? Start small. Pick one thing. It is overwhelming. It's, there's a ton of information out on the Internet if you go searching on your own. Um, so just I would say pick one thing that you want to work on, making sure that all you're you're using the right color or that you're using the right font or you want to make sure all of your images have alt text this semester. Just pick one thing and start working. And I don't think anyone is asking you to go back and fix every accessibility mistake you've ever made. So just, again, be purposeful, start small and every improvement is better than we were before. Absolutely. And and do some additional research. I mean, this is one um, episode and we're so thankful that Megan joined us today to share her knowledge and expertise on accessibility. There's so many other resources, as Megan mentioned, a few of them already in this episode out there for us that we can all just start thinking about accessibility and how we can make our courses, whether they're hybrid, seated or online, we can make them more accessible for our learners. So we know this is such an important topic and something that Regina and I are still learning more about each and every day. And when we heard Megan's presentation on the six tips earlier this year, we hoped that sharing this information in our podcast would help other educators who are also trying to ensure that they are developing accessible courses and creating accessible content. So we hope that you, our listeners, have found this episode as helpful as we did earlier this year. As always, if you have episode ideas, please send them our way by emailing us at theonlineers at trying.edu. Also, if you haven't already, subscribe and rate our podcast, and don't forget to find us on Facebook. As always, thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.